1: From the hills of Strawberry Canyon. I'm Coin Dang,
2: and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go. Go Bears. And welcome back to another episode of the California Golden Bear Cast, part of Blue Wire Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, October 20th, three days after, four days, technically, uh, after the Oregon loss. It was right there in our grasp, uh, but we let it slip away.
1: Damn, that sounded like it hurt. That that was that was real hurt right there.
2: It was pain. I I dude, the last like I, I didn't get my hopes up in the last like two minutes of the game, and I was like, oh my god, we're gonna do this, aren't we? And then it just all came crashing down. Um, but I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob. Alongside me, of course, is my other co-host, Andy. Andy, how are you feeling? After uh, days, as I open up a Lacroix to drown my sorrows. Wow! Not the fact that that's not an alcoholic drink. It's a problem.
1: I'm feeling right I, you know, this is one of those games where I was absent, (laughs) Uh, and I got to watch on on replay because I was really with no service in the middle of nowhere. I've done that more this year, I found, but I think I was twice. Yeah, twice. But on the Washington game, I came out out from that magical place. This time I was like, nah, I'm going to (laughs) stay. Wasn't, but it it was it's just more the same. You know, it's tough. And I just sort of I I honestly just looked at this and was like, forget it. Let's just dust it off and move forward. What about you?
2: Where are you at? Uh, For me, like... I, See, moral victories are like a weird conundrum for me, but this felt like a moral victory win. Like, this felt like a... Okay, our defense might have turned the corner, uh, barring from, like, maybe one or two drives where we kind of were gassed and a little lackadaisical. But uh, outside of that, I thought the defense performed well. Um, Granted... The one drive that they didn't perform well in was the go-ahead touchdown. So there is that. Uh but overall, like to hold Oregon to under under like twenty-seven, um, and to do it in that fashion, uh, up there in Odson. And then the offense like doing pretty well up until the second half in which they kind of just started to crumble. But um I mean, I don't, need, I don't even think we need to go through the stats. I think we just need to kind of flesh this game out. There are some questions from fans uh, and listeners that we kind of all um, kind of throw in there as uh, as our guiding principles through this conversation. But um, yeah, I mean, talk me through it. Talk me through your how you process this victory, like what to take away from it, what not to take away from it. What are you angry about? What are you not angry about? Whatever you want to talk about, Andy. The floor Where's is yours. It? Wasn't Sid at this game? I'm sure she was. No, isn't she graduated? No, I think she she was there.
1: I think she went. So, um, I don't, for me, one, something that's really fun to do is to watch the Wilcox post-game press conference (laughs) and then watch the one on Tuesday. Yeah, It's a different human being. But I don't know. What what are we going to call this? The Broken Record Podcast? I'm just going to come up here and say the same thing over and over and over again. I, I, I just like walked away from it was like, good, we played a competitive football game. That's what I expected we would do. We had the opportunity to win, and time and time again, we don't win these games. I'm going to try and say this as vaguely as I possibly can because I don't want this to become a platform where I'm doing anything which would be the opposite of what I'm going to try and do, but At some point, guys, we've blamed everyone we could possibly blame. Right? Haven't we? We, I think we've blamed everything except one one particular region we don't go after. And so for me, I'm just like, all right, it's going to be what it's going to be this year. This year is going to be what it's going to be. We might play close with Oregon. It's going to rain in the Bay Area on the, in the next few days leading up to the game here against Colorado, I expect it to be a game. The one thing that I'm thinking about as we look forward is can we establish a ground game that we believe in by a force of God? <laughs> Divine <laughs> right? intervention is Divine what you're looking intervention might lead to <laughs> our offensive coaches realizing what Nam's been tweeting about all week which is that our yards per carry is actually really good, but he just wishes our coaches would understand that. The disappearance of the offensive line is the most fundamental concerning thing for me about this team, period, full stop. It's not the defense. It's not the rest of the offense. It's the offensive line. Disastrous performance against Washington State, and then you're going to go up against Kayvon and expect... Yeah, you're going to expect... I wasn't going to try and pronounce it. (laughs) I was like Tibbs. And then you're going to go up against Oregon's athletes and do better. I mean, like there, I think there's real concern around Angus McClure's job security. That unit looks bad. And that's been the knock. I feel like against him. Good recruiter, less good coach. What do we have this year? It's tough. It's tough to watch. and but the big thing I think as I look at this game, I, so I want to take the first point that I made, right, which is we've blamed everybody else, but we don't blame one large area. And then I want to take Wilcox's press conference and isolate one thing he said. okay, okay. fourth down play, he goes and's like, we knew exactly what they were gonna run. They were gonna run cover zero. right? That's what he said. Yeah, okay we he, then he says we had the play called for them to run that to beat the right. cover zero yes Yep. and said so we didn't execute
2: yeah all right that's it
1: that's it I'm, he's saying it guys like he's saying the same thing like you have to have people that are going to execute the plays when I mean, we just don't execute the damn plays and if we're practicing well then we don't have people that show up in games I don't I don't know. I don't know. Like for me, it starts to become. It, it's it's the same thing that Pavlovich said about the Giants three years ago, we went through the same thing. The Giants couldn't hit homers. Remember this team could not hit homers. Mm-hmm. They won a lot of World Series that way, but they couldn't hit any damn homers. Baseball had evolved, had changed, and they wanted to move towards that. They were trying to move towards that. They changed hitting coaches every single year. They would change it, change out the hitting coach, change the assistant hitting coach, change the bench coach, move the bench coach to the third base coach, and finally Pavlovich was like, "You can." I was either Pavlovich or Shulman. You can change the coaches as much as you want, but when do you start to look at another direction? And so, <laughs> for me, like, that's that's the way I look at this. It's a frustrating loss. On top of frustrating losses, and these frustrations have come under what I would say is largely a consistent group. So for me, I just I'm excited for something new. I look, Wilcox, I'm he's not going anywhere. I just he has sixteen million dollar buyout. No, no, it's Crazy. like it's closer to seven. Oh, okay, I thought that was wrong. I yeah. was like, that was insane. Yeah. Um, so seven million dollar buyout. He's not going anywhere. I expect us to win maybe two, three more games this year. And then I'm going into next year with a new quarterback. Hopefully. And uh why? Well, can Chase stay?
2: Chase can not stay, yeah. He still has an extra year of eligibility.
1: Okay, so maybe we're not going
2: into next year with a new quarterback.
1: But you go into next year with, and you look at that and you say, okay, well, we're going in with a different unit. And what can you, I mean, like, that's the only thing I can bring myself to look at. I'm rambling. Rob, where am I at? <laughs> Insane,
2: rambling, lost. I didn't get much sleep last night. Like, where are we at? I think it's all of it. It's all of it combined, right? I mean, so here's my thing about what you were trying to say without trying to say it is as as guys like you and you and I, like we start off as fans, right? And we still kinda are, but we've evolved into this thing of like we're slightly more analytical when it comes to this and a little bit more rational. We're not as irrational as we Used to be probably Mm -hmm. after years of, of doing this and writing and, and how to, how to watch a game. Right. Um, You've, you've definitely probably see things now that you probably weren't seeing like three, four years ago. I definitely am seeing things that I didn't used to see three, four years ago, but that all being said, like when you look at a thing like this and you try and, you try and pinpoint like what exactly went wrong or who exactly is really to blame here. There, there isn't a one, like, clean-cut answer, right? Because the, the dichotomy of, like, how a football game or any sports game works is, yeah, you can blame the manager or the coach who is supposed to prep these players, but the players are the ones that are on the field executing the preparation. So can, we can blame the preparation, but then at the same time, we don't know what that preparation is like, so we can't fully blame the coaches. And we go out there and we see the players execute— and, like, especially collegiate, it's this weird relationship, right? Like, we're, we don't want to blame the college athlete. Like, we, we just don't want to blame the 18 to 22-year-olds that are on the field playing for the university. We don't want to do it. Like, it's taboo, and we try to steer away from it. We don't want to become that fan base that does it. But, at least from an analytical standpoint and how we rationally look at a game, we should be able to separate that and look at the on-field product of what's going on and saying... That's the right play call. That player has to make that catch. That player yeah. has to make that throw. That player has to make that block. Like, I think I think that's fairly within reason. 100% yeah. within reason. Where you go after players and saying like, ah, you suck, you shouldn't even be at this university, like that type of stuff. No, that's that's way, way crossing the line. But analyzing directly what is on the field happening... Like, I'm not going to go out and say, like, oh, he's he, he's probably one of those guys that doesn't practice hard during the week. Like, he thinks he can just game it out. No, you don't go after character. You go after the actual numbers and what you see on the field with your eyes and how it's being played out. So I do think that is a valid question um, and concern. And then my devil's advocate point to you would be, if the players aren't executing, isn't it the coaches' decisions, to make the changes necessary to find players that can execute.
1: Right. That's, and that I think is a fantastic segue into something that I've been thinking about, which is let's, you know, you listeners of this podcast, let's put ourselves in the position of thinking about what would you do as a head coach in this position? You're one in five. The season is largely a wash. Mm -hmm. Your job is relatively safe outside of a complete tank in the last uh seven games no there's not that many left six How many games? six games uh okay so do you throw in? I, for me i know where i'm at i'm like let's i want to see younger guys i'm like i've man like i just feel like i'm ready to see what else <laughs> it is and to explore what that's like and we're doing it on defense yeah but we don't do it on the offensive yeah. side of the ball and that's really where like if you told me that i had to burn kai's met red shirt i'd probably do it and i think that might be a
2: that's probably a pretty far out take I might get it, yeah, so ju- for that, that one. Not even on the depth <laughs> chart, like over the last seven weeks. Yeah. But like,
1: and I miss Jaden Casey. I miss Jaden Casey. And I don't know what Jaden Casey is going to be, but I miss having him on this roster. The, uh, but for me, there's excitement in just rebuilding and retooling. And maybe it's just because I went through this as a Giants fan. We, re- re- we rebuilt for three years. You know, maybe call it two, two plus. But we put that mindset on and said we're going to rebuild. You, the nice thing about college football is you don't have to wait that long. Yeah, you don't need to rebuild three over the course of three or four years. You can rebuild in over the course of a half, one and a half seasons. And so for. What in the why? Okay, so why? Why do I want to rebuild? Why do I want to reset? Because I've been watching the same damn thing for like four straight years. And if you, it's like, all right, this game was like everyone, we've all seen this game before. We've all seen it. We've seen it this season, we've seen it last season, and we saw it the season before that. And we win some of them, we lose some of them, but we want something more. And we've seen the same thing. Like the same, like we've seen the same offense. We've seen two different offensive coordinators, but produce very similar results. The only difference I would say between Bill Musgrave and Bo Baldwin is that we have a better run game now. Slightly more use of the tight end. Other than that, I, I mean, look, route concepts, what we're doing, different. Production wise, I look at it and I'm like, it largely feels the same. We have good drives where we put everything together. And we have drives where we completely turtle up. And it's not a turtle because we're scared. It's just we turtle up because that's what we do. We just fold into like the Mario character turtle and we get kicked to the opposite direction and we punt. And I feel like we do that so often and we see it so often. We'll have a great first quarter drive. We score the touchdown and then the second quarter is a total miss. What game is that? Oh, it's a Nevada game, right? Oh, okay. So then we have great long sustained drives. In the third quarter and fourth quarter, we disappear. It's like, what game is that? Probably three or three other games this <laughs> year. Like, and then we have the games where we don't do anything. And then we have um, uh, in the third, in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter, we do nothing. In the fourth quarter, we have a massive amount of success, but it's almost too little, too late. So I just feel like at this point, it's become so predictable that I'm almost going back to what I would say with. McIlwain where I was like let's introduce the anarchy (laughs) you want to see chaos because it's different and because it helps us understand what else is out there because that in turn would then help me to understand what the limit is on this thing and I think that's what I'm trying to get a better understanding at of is is this just who we are a team that cannot score 24 points consistently or are we limited in some degree that we have control over because if you told me that it was the latter i would can i would maintain and then build upon my confidence that this ship would get righted if it's not then it would allow me to understand that that path might be very hard Okay. So round 2
2: of my very hot rambling take. What do you think? No, I think um I think the point you're hitting on is a very good like full circle moment of our conversation that we had with Nam and Nick, right? I think I think that's the the crux of where Nam and Nick are on the on the spectrum and where you and I are on the spectrum. Nam and Nick or let let's let, let's talk about us first. I think you and I are on the spectrum of we know what the ceiling is with this team currently. We're willing to see out what the ceiling looks like with that next team, which is coming next year and the year after that. You and I are okay with that, and we're good with it, and we're hopeful yes. for it. Nam and Nick, I think on the other hand, I, I'm speaking for them, but I think this is where their point is Like generally, is that they think regardless of who, who changes and who comes in at other positions, the ceiling will ultimately be the same with the current team we have now. And that's that's the different differing point. Um, for me, I'm I'm on board with you. I So I was talking to this in our like in our Rifer California guys' is our group chat and I what I was saying was I honestly think like if if statistically like numerically we're out of the running for a bowl game, right? The moment we cannot get to six wins, you throw all the young guys in. Why would you not? Like, why are you trying? I mean, I guess you're trying to win because you know it's a, it's you're trying to get the W. But like, there's no reason for you to try and get those wins. You need to build for next year. Yeah. Right. It, getting the five wins isn't gonna isn't meaningful to you at all. This isn't a program where we just change our head coach and we just need to get wins to get some momentum. This is a team that needs to start getting experience for guys on the field immediately. Like. Does Chase give us the best chance of winning? Absolutely. But the moment six wins is out the door.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: You need to put in someone younger. Like just to see what that kid can do on the field in a real game. Right. There's no other opportunity to do that. Garbage time is not the same as giving a guy a four-game run to end the season in a in a shot season, anyways. Plus if As a
1: starter in practice, exactly. To it's, totally agree.
2: it's it's totally different. So I think I think you're playing. I think Wilcox is playing for the six wins right now, as he should be, right? I don't think he should tank the whole year. You go for the six wins. If you can, if you can string off five, five more wins out of the last six games, you're getting to a bowl game. Then you're then good. You made the right choice. But the moment you are mathematically out of it, you need to start just putting in the younger guys because the older guys aren't here. I mean, what's the point of playing the older guys? And like, I get you're trying to give them, you know, the play time, and you know this might be their last go around in college football. But that's negligence to your program if you're not building towards the future, right? And you, the only way you do that is getting guys playing time and not just practice, but, like, actual live reps. And, like, to your point, like, we've done that with the defense, right? Femi's been playing. Lou's been playing. I mean, Colin Gamble is still a young dude, too. So Colin's been playing. Um, You see all the other young guys across the front seven as well. that are. I feel playing. like
1: we discover a surprise defensive player like bimage every year right but bimage isn't a freshman though no i know yeah but i'm just saying like trey pastor
2: played really well against oregon right femi played really well against oregon those are two inside linebackers that just this that's that's case in point to what i'm trying to say there's nothing like in-game experience to see whether they can sink or swim and clearly some of these guys are swimming so why aren't we doing that on the offense i don't know i mean I guess you could say that they're doing that with Jeremiah Hunter and they're doing that a bit with Damian Moore too. Um, but, I mean, all in all, like I'm looking at this going, you got to start playing the younger guys at some point and I think that will be the the crux of the art that, that little moment. Like, this is not a good example, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, I'm prefacing that. Like the whole Ed Orgeron thing right now, it's like he's gone, but he's coaching till the end of the year. Like, what does that accomplish in, like, any sort of form? Like, what does that accomplish? He's a dead man walking on campus. Like, he's gone at the end of the year. You think the dude's going to be out recruiting for LSU? No, of course not. Like, is he, like, how do you know he's going to be doing his best job? But that's at Orgeron. Um, But that's kind of, that's the same generic scenario I'm building off of, is you play, you know, some of the senior guys The last five games, meaninglessly, because it's not going to get us to a bowl game or anything. It's just, just literal, just normal. You could call exhibition games, and it wouldn't really matter. Um, The younger guys, though, could potentially use that to build on and going into next year, right? And if you're, if you're not putting guys, I mean, the coaches have talked about this all the time, right? It's like preparation. Like it starts with them, and they need to identify like who plays and like who is going to elevate this team and putting the team in the best position to win. And if you're not looking ahead to next season without a bowl game in hand and you're not playing the younger guys and not seeing, then what are you doing? (laughs) is what I would ask.
1: Right. And that's what we did under Dykes. Right. We did that on our way to a five and seven season. And we came into the next year with, Zero idea who would be a starter, starting quarterback, or even who to look to. Mm-hmm. And then we had to figure out was it Bowers, was it Garbers, right? That was that entire battle. Yeah, but
2: then he left or he was let go. So,
1: so I think it's really well said. I thought of the player I thought of was like Nate, Rich- like the inside linebackers are actually a really good example mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Nate Ruchania, right? Against, uh, against Washington State. That interception. Very, very yeah. good play. And, you know, and then didn't play against Oregon. Like, we rotate really well defensively to find what works. And I don't feel like we do that. And there are plays that, like, okay, perfect example of like Here's what frustrates me about the offensive side of the ball. We have had turnovers in the last two weeks that would have flipped game script but we don't do anything with them. Right. The amount of empty possessions we have after a turnover is like one of the biggest differences I can think of between this team and what we did in 2019. I felt like in 2019, we would capitalize when we would win that turnover. We would go down and score and put points on the board. But we you, like, I swear we get a turnover and we're just like, here, have the ball back. We'll punt <laughs> it right back to you. We don't actually want this. We'd rather play on the defensive side of the ball. It's super frustrating. <laughs> And I think that cycling more, like, and I also wish that we could have, I was just thinking about this. Like we use chase as a runner Mm -hmm. in goal line situations, but like, do we have an athletic option that we could put back there as wildcat formation? Because I was super interested to see because most other teams wouldn't run their quarterback. So the reason why, why did I bring this up on the, I watched the seven plays from the goal line from about 18 different angles
2: <laughs>
1: via YouTube. And the best one I saw was a fan that was recording the whole game in Oregon. It was a very interesting thing, but you look at what chase had as a runner and he he had end zone. <laughs> if he bounced off of the right side of that block, I think that was the, sorry, the second down or was it the third down play yeah. where he ran it? Yeah. yeah. There's the third down play. And, and instead, he ran off of the inside block and ran right into the defender. He had two guys on the outside. He had a tight end and he had a blocker in front of him. This tight end was sealing the outside of that, which would have put him like because I know people would say, "Okay, you see that defender there? He's going to get there." But no, like our tight end was there. He had the right side. I I have a hard time believing that a running back wouldn't necessarily see that. Where a quarterback isn't, and Chase is a great runner, so I don't mean to knock that. It's just a matter of like a running back is going to have the vision for seeing that, like a Damian Moore would have the vision for seeing that, versus a quarterback because they've been doing
2: it longer. It's, well, the game will be slower for them. So, well, here's here's the stat that kind of helps you out here. So this is from Hiflade, who uh, writes for Addicted to Quack. He's probably one of the greatest like football charters and like stat guys I know. Uh, but we're Peter and I and Nick were talking on Twitter about um, play selection and all that. There's a great article that Peter wrote on Right for California that's up Evans Hall where it charts like our play tendencies on first, second, and third and fourth down by quarter. It's really good. I highly recommend you read it. It is free too, so please go read it. It's not premium. But here's here's what Peter was talking about. He said uh, this is Cal's best play selection by down for non-conference games or non-SAC State games, So all games except for sack State, right? First down is pass. You have an average yards of 6.3 uh, yards per attempt with a median of four. Second down is also pass, 6.47 yards per attempt, median of two. And third down is a chase run, which is 8.7 yards per carry with a median of two. And on fourth down, it's run, with a 4.5 yards per attempt with a median of 4.5. And we were talking about that um and Nick asked like curious how many of those chase runs were scrambled versus designed. And this is what Hithloday had to say. Excluding the Sack State game, garbage time and sacks, these are this is what Chase's runs are. 14 are designed rushes, 6.4 yards per carry, 7 on third downs. Uh 7 of those came on for third downs and that's at 7.4 yards per carry. 14 are scrambles, 7.6 yards per carry. Five of those came on third down, 10.8 yards per carry on third down. If scrambling were a play call, it would be Cal's most effective play through five FBS games.
1: Interesting. Interesting because it's successful with both. Yeah. It almost defeats my point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think... I don't know what I'm asking for other than to look at things and, and know that if the margin of error is going to be so small, the difference between that game is, you know, one or two plays. It's neat. It's
2: Nico cut catching that touchdown. I know it's yeah, without a doubt. It's the refs calling Kavon Thibodeau for offsides when we are inside the three. Um, it's Chase not seeing the right the right run there. It's Chase not overthrowing Kikoa on the go route. Um, and this, I mean, like Wilcox said that today in his presser, where he's like, okay, see, well, this is he was talking about the defense on the two drives that they gave up, you know, touchdowns. But he's like, there, there isn't really one thing that you can pinpoint to be like, that's the reason that drive was lost. It's we missed tackles right we missed leverage we like didn't account for the quarterback as a runner on certain plays we also he was talking about how they rushed four on certain instances and didn't feel the screen and just let that devour the middle of the field um so he was talking about there's there's just so many aspects um and i think he's he's right to that certain degree like there's not one thing you can point to in this game and be like that's the reason we lost but There are enough to be like, damn, like, even despite that, like, we were close to winning this, but we just couldn't get ourselves over the hump. Like, we just couldn't do, that's, I think that's the reason Oregon won. Despite having all those, like, starters out missing and whatever, they just had enough guys, and they just made enough plays to get over it. We were one play short, every time. One tackle short, one catch short. One throw short, like we were always just one short, and that's what landed us the the loss, not the W.
1: it's what's landed us almost every loss? Yeah. yeah,
2: it's true. It's true. All right, Are we down to go in some questions, Andy. Yeah, there because there's a bunch. I'm gonna go down the list. All right, we got our, we got our first one. Kind of has to do with the game, so I'm gonna start with this one. Scott Morita on Twitter asks not. Running once with Brooks, I think he's talking about Christopher Brooks. You near know, the goal line was surprising. I know Wilcox must rely on this on, this co- on the coordinators to call plays, but could you foresee him taking an, a more active role soon? Decisions from his staff are killing us, and it might be time for change in approach.:
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?
2: You want me to take this or you want to take it? You go first. Well, I think I think you and I are kind of going to be on the same page with this. Because so we had a chance to talk to Wilcox and people talk hear us talking about it all the time where we did this like football 101 thing a few years back with him. And in terms of decision making, like he said that he gets analytics calls. Like, you know, from saying like, oh, you know, if you run here, you're probably going to get like a 30% chance of success or, or whatnot. And he bases his decisions On those calls, but also sometimes His gut feeling When he makes those calls between Listening to the analytics and listening to his gut I don't know But that's there So he's not not decision making Right Um, He also kind of alluded to Like with his coordinators Especially I'll just talk about the offense Is Like he would say like Hey, if we reach If we get a first down here Like, you know, let's go deep Or if we reach the 50, like, let's, we're going to go four downs, like to get the first down. Like, he had, he, he makes those decisions as the head coach. Like, he doesn't leave those decisions up to the coordinators. The actual, like, play call one, I don't think Wilcox is ever going to take offensive play calling because he's never been an offensive coordinator or an offensive play caller. Uh, Defensive play calling. I don't know. I think he has so much on his plate as an offensive coordinator or a head coach already. I don't know if he's going to want to take that on as well. Um, I don't know. That's that's my thoughts. What about you?
1: I think, in a different vein, it's tough. I don't know. Let's use the Washington game for an example. You go run, you fumble the ball at the two. Like I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, sure, if okay, maybe you give the ball to Brooks, you get a better result, but you could equally just have a negative result. He was running well, and but our offensive line was getting absolutely destroyed. There was nothing that I was watching that our offensive line do that gave me any confidence that running the ball would have been running the ball from like a straight up like. Uh, traditional kind of formation was the play. That's why I'm saying like Wildcat, something different, something that would have been... Let me
2: throw off the defense a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because Kayvon was having his way on the left side of the line and yeah. it wasn't even it wasn't even enjoyable to watch as a Cal fan.
1: I, th- I think there's a case to be made, which I've texted you, that we don't execute the RPA very well. RPO? <laughs> Sorry, we use RPAs at work. Yes. Um, I I feel like there have been times this year where and I can't I mean who who am I to say that if it's an RPO or not I don't know if it's an actual opportunity like if it's just a design play but there was the one play when we had the obvious running hole to the left and it was wide open and and Chase kept it and there was another play in the Oregon game where I just was like, "Huh, like." And I remember that being a thing very early on that we would look at and we're like, "You know, is is this something that we do well?" So I think that's the one thing that maybe I'd look at and just be like, "Is there room for improvement there and decision making and under and like making the right read?" I also think that there's something to be said about like, yeah, just I don't know, we, we just. Like at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know if Brooks would have made any difference. I'd love to say that he did. He and he would have. He's obviously a big body and ran well. And but without it absent of an awesome offensive line and absent of going into an absolute like power formation, I'm not so sure that it would have had any success.
2: All right. Yeah, I think the like on third down, the basically the QB draw, I think that was the right play because you spread him out. And you had a tight end there to extra block. If I'm thinking of it separately, like if we had pulled one of the wide receivers and subbed him in for Christopher Brooks, then the numbers game wouldn't have been in our favor because Kayvon was already eating up one side of the line. And to instead of having a DB out wide, we have another DB either inside or a linebacker in there. I don't think the numbers would have been in our favor if we had made that. So... I think that's my take on the the Christopher Brooks run, but well said. Yep. All right. Uh, Bailey. I think this is Sid's uh, younger sister, right? After the Oregon loss, I'm upset, but I'm proud of how well the offense and the defense played. What games do you believe are winnable? What can the offense and defense still improve on?
1: I love this game.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think every game is winnable. I think I honestly believe every game for the rest of the they. What is it? Uh, Someone put out, was it on some Twitter account, like some aggregator Twitter account put out that Cal has the third easiest schedule remaining in the entire country. So it's there. We play Arizona and Colorado, the two teams probably that everyone would rank below Cal in the Pac-12. Yeah. So, yeah, at at least two. The three California schools... Look beatable. (laughs) They all look beatable. There's no there's none of the three look daunting. So it's a matter of execution, as Andy would put it.
1: Oregon State is the hardest opponent we have
2: left. Probably. Yeah, they're the ones that are playing the best. Yeah. I mean, did you did you see the Colorado Arizona score at one point last week? It no. was twenty to zero at one point. Colorado was up, right? Not a single offensive touchdown had been scored. <laughs> twenty to zero, and Dude, not a I single mean, offensive touchdown.
1: Saturday is gonna be nuts. <laughs> if, if it rains, which it's it's sixty percent probability right it's now. The neutral, it's, it's
2: the neutral factor. Like anything is game when there's weather involved. The monsoon game against Oregon. Yeah, like the. Our, our freshman year in 07, the SC game, with, in the rain, uh, like, th- anything is possible. Anything is possible. Hell, we could even get another shootout. We can get, like, another uh, Colorado, the Jared Goff shootout, right? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Was it 53, 53, 54, something like that?
1: Yeah. I think what does the offense and defense have to improve upon i thought tackling was bad. just the one thing that i missed has been the same thing all year all right so uh is drayden was the one that was uh, isolated outside on the qb touchdown run mm-hmm. the to anthony yep. yeah so like uh when on that play i felt like drayden who's amazing and has made those tackles before instead of keeping the offensive player in front of him and waiting for help, tried to make the tackle in isolation. And the problem with that is if it goes wrong, you give up the score. And if it goes well, you're a hero. But obviously, like I think Wilcox is a coach that kind of tries to avoid the hero plays and goes for the ones where the more predictable plays. So I would have liked to see that one be... Hey, I'm just going to make sure like, no matter what, like I'm here, my teammates are going to come help. I'm not going to let you get in the end zone versus what ended up happening. Hindsight being in my benefit. But that's the number one thing for me with the defense is just continuing to kind of focus on those fundamentals of stand the player up, swarm, stand the player up, swarm, Mm -hmm. stand the player up, swarm. And that's what I miss from our past defenses on the offensive side of the ball. I think we covered it, you know, to be fair. And I don't want to, repeat so but that's what I would look for going forward and I think establishing the run game against Colorado that's going to be a big piece knowing that the elements will be in
2: play all right next one's from Sid she says this loss really hurts but I thought the defense played way better I think we all agree Uh, but I'm confused about the play calls on the last drive also chase missed Crawford a second time in the end zone were you both content on the last play calls what would you have called uh, so the the only play that I'm like that I'm like curious about is the actual final play like that fourth down play. That's the only one because we never got to see the play actually develop or like that happen, right? It just he he just threw it as he went down and it was like like I mean with the one play we haven't talked about like then we got to we got to clap it off to was Chase keeping the drive alive with that shovel pass like good lord like, like that was an incredible incredible heads up play um and then Oregon guys like all like pointing saying he was down but he's like clearly not down. <laughs> he's like a foot above the ground uh but man that that was such an impressive play uh to keep the drive alive but then yeah that play was insane yeah, yeah it was absolutely insane so the, okay so the last one is the last play is the one that I, I'm i curious about. And Wilcox has talked about this, about how the closer you get to the end zone, the harder it is to execute a pass play because you just don't have the space that you can generate um, with like route concepts. So I don't know. I think they tried to go. I think they tried to go spread and they tried to give maybe a chase a running lane of three yards to get into the end zone, but they held they held Pat. And as you said, you know, they went cover zero and they didn't execute. So everyone was man to man and just could not get an opening. And I think that's the thing that Hithliday said when I was interviewed on addicted to quack was just like the receivers are good, but none of them actually get good separation. And that can only sustain you for so long. Like how many 50, 50 balls are you going to come down with? Like at some point, 50, 50 balls aren't going to go your way. And that's, that's kind of what it is, where Chase didn't throw to anybody. Well, he did throw to someone, but that was because he was under duress and he had to get the ball away. But there wasn't anyone to throw to, which means that there wasn't separation and it was man-to-man coverage. So, like, that's just one of the one of the things that will just—I don't know what play call would have done it. Like, if if the. 'Cause the coaches, you and I aren't aren't football coaches, the coaches are football coaches. So they know what plays can break a cover zero and if they read it as a cover zero and they called the play to break it, but the execution's not there, I don't know what other play there could have been to to do that. Like
1: That's exactly what I was gonna yeah. say. That's it. It's like if you I, I've just I think that is so illuminating that he was and it was such an honest answer. Yeah. Because post-game Wilcox doesn't give anything besides honest answers and angry ones at that. And it was, we knew what the play was, we had the play called to beat it, and we didn't execute. Can you ask for a different play call? doesn't matter. They already had the one that they knew would beat it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I, I don't know. It was so confusing. But if you're going to let three dudes in within a matter of two seconds, it's going to be... You know, I don't know if someone's supposed to leak out if you're doing that on purpose, you know, one of those kind of like a screen, like let them get back there and then you open it up and you get create space. But whatever it was, it didn't look <laughs> there's no semblance of nervousness that anyone had after watching that unfold from the Oregon side. Yeah,
2: that was that. All right. We got a couple more questions. Uh, Ryan asks with. uh with Cal cash strapped due to their own missteps, like giving Wilcox an extension when he hadn't earned one on that magnitude, is there a way they could even afford a decent replacement while paying another buyout? And thus, is Troy Taylor the top option because of that? All right. So, if you want to play out that scenario just a tad bit, and I'm just, at, we're answering questions, so we got to answer it, right? Fair or square? Fair is fair. Uh, though, on the record, both of us do not think that Wilcox will be fired, nor is he on the real hot seat right now. It's a little maybe a little warm but it's not like a hot seat. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, we've talked about that on our podcast with Nam and Nick. It's just like a can you ask the same donors to buy out a football coach and a basketball coach in the same year? Like I I just don't see that happening. And like Nick's thing, you know that he pointed out was like you scrutinize based on how much he's getting paid and what he's delivering. We're paying middle of the conference we're getting middle of the conference until we start paying higher than middle of the conference. I don't think you can expect better. Right from like a from like who can we hire coaching pool, and then as Dam said too, like institutionally, there are certain people we're not going to hire. Like we're not hiring Urban Meyer, we're not hiring Ed Orgeron, we're not hiring Art Briles. <laughs> like we're not hiring. You Freeze, like we're there's there's certain there's a lot of coaches out there that maybe we can get on the cheap, but institutionally we would never do it, and that's kind of and thus is Troy Taylor the top option probably, but I mean here's a here's my rebuttal to that, is if Troy Taylor wasn't a Cal coach or a Cal player, would he even be on the Cal radar, like just judging from his football like what he's done, like just because he was Utah's OC. For a year like you think that puts us that puts him I'm not like I'm not like I'm not like rhetorically asking I'm like genuinely asking the person it's like it is is that a good enough qualification to put him on the Cal radar I don't know I I don't think he would be on the the want list for a lot of people just judging from like his win losses and stuff if he wasn't a Cal quarterback. Rearboat Ron, baby. Rearboat yeah. Ron, that's the only thing yeah.
1: I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think if uh, he's just so shocked, like seven mil. And if you're gonna ask me as a AD, which is the bigger problem to solve? Just wait till you see basketball attendance numbers. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just wait till you see those things. Mm -hmm. so uh yeah the biggest problem is going to showcase itself here in about a month and um that's the one that i would solve
2: well first we got uh one more question for us before we got to go is uh shavit shavit karen asks us what can be done to save recruiting
1: i was excited i saw this one and was excited for it um so give me a second i'm just gonna look it up but um so let's look at our twenty
2: twenty two. It's not great. It's not great. Like Justin Martin's loss, Caleb Johnson's loss, and Jay loss does not help right now. Fifty eight
1: nationally, ninth in the Pac twelve. Yeah, so not great. 0. .86. Look, we Sunny mainly recruited at the. 58 national you know i just don't like look my thoughts on it with recruiting are if you're gonna bomb one fine bomb this year (laughs) uh because you had such a good class last year you're set like you did the work you got that class but the the thing that gives me hope here is i don't Look at Oregon State. Oregon State has fielded a great team without having to have great recruiting. You look at Utah, they've done something similar. Their recruiting has gotten better, but we have coaches that can recruit. You can still recruit for a program that has one win. You can recruit for a program that has three wins. We have the number one public university in the world behind it. You're never going to lose that brand. So how far, your bottom is capped. And that's the beautiful thing about it you're always going to have appeal to go to Cal because of the education and being in a Bay area and being in one of the most innovative places in the entire world with some of the best weather in the entire world. So you have that at its core. I just don't look at recruiting. Like it's this thing that is going to all of a sudden be, you know, a hundred, 120 and you have up years, you have down years. Like to me, we can sustain this. And we have coaches that can recruit to reverse that. So I, I just don't, am not that worried. My biggest hope, which is the optimist in, me, optimist in me and dangerous, is that this forces us to be creative and go up and fi- go out and find the people that are the diamond in the rough type players that become Evan Weavers, that become these guys that like Jordan Knossich, that we never expected to blossom into the player that they become they became Devonte downs like i know nam loved him called him out like all these guys nam nam knows but like the average person doesn't look at that recruit and is like that guy's gonna be really good and i think like so i thought about this a lot and just sort of arrived at this place where i'm like i'm very much at peace with it because i don't think the bottom is like the bottom of a season's a season is much lower than where I think our bottom of re- recruiting can go. If we go two and ten, everyone's going to feel really bad about that season. But recruiting will probably be where it is right now. That's my guess. I don't see it as going much lower than that.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, we haven't seen any defensive players decommit. The only players that have decommitted are three offensive players, and there's still a lot of time to get in. The only if you're if you're if you're starting to panic and you're getting a little if you're into the weeds about recruiting, the only concern I would have is we have a running backs coach who's been here for two years now and has not gotten a single running back in the door. That would be concerning, but there's still time is what I'm saying, right? Um, Like we lost our only quarterback recruit and we've offered some other guys but we need to get in another quarterback because we're most likely going to have a quarterback battle next year and we need the competition. So there's that. Like Burl Toller is probably the only guy that you could look on probably the offensive side and go, his job is the safest because of the guys he's pulled in and the guys that he's brought in. J. Mike, Jeremiah Hunter, right? Kekoa, Nico, like all those, all these guys that have started to develop over the last couple of years and play really, really well. Jeremiah Hunter is like the key point, right? J. Michael Servan also, like judging from Instagram, does not have a cast on his arm anymore, so it could be that we see him a lot sooner than later. And Musgraves also alluded to the fact that some of these younger guys are looking like they're ready to play now. So, I mean, granted, I thought that they were going to play in the Oregon game, but maybe that's a little too much to drop them into their first game at Autzen. So maybe this week's the week. Maybe this week is the week against the... Uh, not that great of a team where you can throw on some of the younger talent and see if they can sink or swim. And we start to explode. Like, you know, Jermaine Terry's like started to show up on the Cal football social media like handles. I don't want to read too many tea leaves, but.
1: (laughs) I know the the era, the era is coming, man. The era is upon us. And the other thing too, is like the transfer portal at, you know, at the, in this era is Huge. is way different than it's ever yep. been. You can add a lot of talent that way as well. But we, just, we um, also
2: just don't know what talent's available in the portal right now. We actually probably won't know that until, what, like after spring ball? Because that's when a lot of guys, like, see that they're not going to be in the depth chart for the following year, and that's when they bounce. So, like, case in point, UCLA picked up Zach Charbonnet from Michigan, and luck how he's turned out. So, we just need to find a couple of those. Maybe add a quarterback uh, through the portal and, and see where that goes. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's going to be it for us uh, here on the California Golden Bearcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Golden Bearcast. You can follow us on the interwebs, on all your podcasting places, networks. And uh, just remember, you can find most of our written stuff at writercalifornia.com. A lot of things have been going up this week, of course. Uh, if you're listening to this before the Colorado game, there will be a Colorado preview podcast with someone from Run Ralphie Report uh, later in the week. But uh, outside of that, that's it. And from myself and Eddie, as always, go Bears.
1: See you Saturday. Go Bears.